0: You know, it's interesting, this uh, Fireproof Your Marriage comes out of a movie called Fireproof, and we're actually going to watch that movie together as a church uh, the last part of March, and so uh, be looking for information about that. But what's interesting is it's about this movie about a firefighter and his wife that are struggling to keep their marriage together. And to show the universal themes that are there, it continues to astound Hollywood. Uh, I think I've got up on the next slide. This is actually this morning on cnn.com entertainment. If you go to CNN's main page, you'll see this up uh, down at the bottom on the left. And I know some of you cannot read that headline, okay? Fireproof is still generating heat. Now, some of you are more interested in the Havertys. Try our free room planner. That's not, that's not what it's up there for, all right? This it says fireproof is still generating heat, and you can see a picture there of Kirk Cameron who plays the main character in there. And the reason this story is even up on CNN is because apparently last week, as fireproof's numbers came in about how many DVDs it had sold, it was third highest in the country. And they don't understand it. Now, there are a lot of reasons, and they give a lot of reasons in the article, the, the uh, One of the things interesting is because churches around the country are talking about it. It talked about the marketing campaign was a little different, that Sony decided to pick it up. Isn't it amazing how sometimes they pick up ideas after the fact when they realize it'll sell some money or sell some product? But they still don't understand that it's because it's such a universal issue. What we're talking about here over the next few weeks is how are we going to make our marriages fireproof? How are we going to make our relationships fireproof? And remember, fireproof doesn't mean that fires won't come. It just means that when fires come, that they're able to withstand it. Last week, we talked about that in order for things to be fireproof, we need to understand the differences in males and females, right? We talked about what there are out there during the week. Some other people have helped me with other things that are differences. I'm not going to rehash that sermon. But the point is, we have to learn to appreciate and accept those differences. Now this week, we're going to talk about the most important issue in fireproofing a marriage. And that is the foundation. The most important issue in fireproofing any relationship. In fireproofing your life. In fireproofing your relationship with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse. And so this isn't just for... This isn't just a, a marriage talk. This is for any relationship. The most important issue is the foundation. Have of you, you seen the, the hotel they're building over on Conference Drive, the thing that's going up? You know, Susan and I lived over around there while we first moved here, over in those apartments right around there. And I remember it seems like it's been a year since they really started on that project. Now, some of you will know the date they started. I don't remember the date, but it's been a long time. And as with any construction project, what I remember is it seemed like it took them forever to get anything I could see. And I didn't know what was going up there. So it bothered me. Any of you like that? You drive by something, you go, what in the world is happening over there? I want to know. Anybody, let me see your hands. Are you there? I'm curious. I want to know. And all I saw were bulldozers pushing dirt around. I thought, what in the world's going on? suddenly, I found out what it was going to be and they started to put some walls on it and as soon as they got the walls going up, it's taken shape very quickly, right? Because the foundation is the most important element of anything. And without a strong foundation, without a strong foundation, nothing lasts. Now I want to tell you that usually I give you three points, four points as a sermon. There are gonna be a couple of things for you to write down, but this sermon is a one point sermon. And all of God's people said? Boy, you are strong when y'all do that kind of stuff. Now we're going to talk about the issue first and then the point of the sermon, alright? It's a one-note sermon. It's a one-point sermon. So when you go out of here today, I want you to learn one thing, and I'll tell you what that is in a few minutes. The first thing I want you to realize is people want to have successful marriages. Amen? Amen? I have never counseled with a couple that tells me in my office, our goal is to have the worst marriage on record. Right? I mean, when I stand up and I'm standing before people and they're sitting there together and they're pronouncing before their family and friends and neighbors and God and all the witnesses, and they're saying that we are committing our lives to one another, they aren't saying to me when I'm there, none of them are thinking, and this marriage is going to go south. The truth is, whether it's a marriage or just a general relationship, everybody wants relationships to last. I mean, I I assume that you don't have friendships in your life right now that you consider true friends, that you think, boy, I sure hope this ends one day. Right? I I assume that, that parents, as you're trying to make your relationship work with your kids, you're saying to yourself, man, I hope this goes bad. Now, you may want them to move out sometime. Amen? But it doesn't have to go bad. And so people want successful marriages. So what happens? I mean, the truth is that marriages aren't as strong as they used to be. Relationships in general aren't as strong as they used to be. Whether you look at the statistics, whether it's 35%, 40%, 50% of marriages eventually get divorced, whatever it is, it's a high number. And when you study state by state, the thing that's troubling to me is that Tennessee is about sixth on that list. And if you look on that list of the top states in marriage problems or failure numbers, what's interesting is there are a whole lot of them in the southeast, what we call the Bible Belt. So what happens? Well, I brought a visual illustration, all right? It's not the stool, okay? What happens is that people base their lives, and their marriages on things that don't last. Now, this is just sand, okay? Apparently, some people earlier thought this was kitty litter. It's not. So don't worry when I put my hands in here, okay? Somebody's going to shake my hand afterwards. There are all kinds of things people build their lives on. Things that they think are good foundations. They, they get married... <laughs> They start a relationship and they think, as long as we've got this together, we'll be okay. I mean, there's good old-fashioned money. Now, hopefully you got more than a buck. There's good old-fashioned money. And the problem is, they think that this is a good foundation to build your life on. We're going to talk about money next week. But they think this is a good foundation to build your life on, and if we just have enough money, we'll be okay. So when the money runs dry, you've got to get... Credit, right? Now, we're learning from everything that's out there that part of the problem with the economy right now is a whole lot of people spend a whole lot more than they make. So as a country, we're spending more than we make, right? As individuals, we're doing that. And so they build their lives on the idea that money will solve problems. It doesn't. Well, what about toys? Helicopters? airplanes, travel, cars. Now, I know these are fancy cars right here. You just build it on stuff. Now, this represents... I know most of you in here don't have a helicopter or a plane. Okay? It's not actually the helicopter or plane. It's the stuff, the material stuff, the things that you do, the things that you want, the things that you own. If we just have a nice house, if we just have a nice car, if we just have a good foundation of stuff we're okay. Or, if we just make sure we take care of each other's wants, we'll be okay. That doesn't work. Now, somehow, Superman ended up in my sandbox. And I know you can't see Superman. He's a little small. But, the truth is, sometimes we just think if we're just strong enough, if I'll just be strong enough, if she'll just be strong enough, everything will work together fine. Sometimes it's just on knowledge, just more knowledge, if we learn more, if we know more, if we seek more, then everything will be okay. The problem is what's in this box represents what that's like. It's just sand. Now, here's the thing about sand. Jesus had something to say about building your life on the sand, didn't he? Didn't he? He said that if, and now this is the interesting part, he said, if you are somebody that listens to my words, that you know the right thing to do and yet you do not do them, then you are like a man who built his house upon the sand. And when the storms came, and they will come, and the waters rose and it will rise, and it was buffeted by the storm, what happens? What happens? It crashes down. But, he says, if you put your life on the rock of doing what I say and my teachings and what I've taught you, then your house is like it's built on a rock. When the storms come and the waters rise, even though it is buffeted, the house will stand. Let me tell you what happens. The reason that relationships have difficulty at all is because we don't have the right foundation. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Last week, I see them up in the biblical you know, difficulty. Or last week, we went to Genesis 1. We're going to Genesis 3 this week. Now I want you to notice something that maybe you haven't noticed in this passage before. Perhaps you have. But in this passage is an interesting little side note that's part of the bigger picture. Now, now you know Genesis chapter 3, if you've got an NIV version of the Bible, it tells you right before Genesis 3 that this is the fall of man. And you know the story. Adam and Eve are out. God's told them you can eat of anything you want to eat. Now, think about that for a minute. It is paradise there. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about surviving temptation in relationships and One of the things that we have to realize is that God has given us our choice of all kinds of stuff. He's just limited a little bit of stuff. Think about Adam and Eve. They could eat of any tree in the garden except one. Now, I know sometimes in the pictures, it makes it look like that there's really only one enticing tree. But there were lots of good things to eat in the garden. Okay? And so it comes to this point. Where Adam and Eve are walking in the garden and they're there and the serpent comes to them and the serpent says, listen, I know what God said, but you're not going to die. I mean, really. He's exaggerating a little bit there. I mean, really. That's not going to happen. And I think it's just because he's afraid. I think he's just afraid that you're going to be like him. And so Adam and Eve, what happens? Eve takes the fruit and she eats it. And then... She gives it to Adam who, from the Scripture, appears to be standing right next to her while she's eating. And what does he do? He eats it, right? So now they're together in their sin. Look at verse 6 in chapter 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, There is some belief out there, just for your knowledge, that that doesn't have to be a time sequential event, okay? It doesn't have to be she ate it and then he ate it. There are some that believe she took some off the tree, she gave it to him, she took it for herself, and together they ate it. I mean, Imagine that scenario. You ever seen two kids that are trying to figure out whether or not they're going to jump in the pool? And it's a scary thing for them, and they say, I'll do it if you do it. Maybe that's a scenario that happens here. That's a little bit of speculation. The resulting doesn't matter. They both ate it. Now look what happens. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees. And the Lord said, Where are you? Again, God had not lost to them. He answered, I heard your garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now here's the point, okay? The first rift we see in any kind of relationship in Scripture comes immediately after they ate the fruit. They look for a second and realize, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have any clothes on. And we're not real comfortable with that. And they become ashamed of themselves, and suddenly the relationship they have is separated in some ways. Let me tell you a reality. Our sin creates tension in all of our relationships. What we see in Genesis chapter 3 is, first of all, there is trouble in the relationship between them and god right adam realizes there's a problem they hear god walking what do they do they hide now i just want you to think for a second about the preposterous nature of hiding from an all-knowing god okay it's kind of like playing hide and seek with somebody that keeps their eyes open the whole time just not going to happen But we also see in these earliest chapters of Genesis that the sin that enters the world not only creates problems with the relationships between man and God, but almost immediately it creates tension between man and wife. Just a couple of chapters later, it creates tension between brother and brother to the point of death. Throughout the book of Genesis. Have you read the book of Genesis lately? It is a handbook for dysfunctional families. Right? You cannot teach a good parenting class or good marriage class out of Genesis. Now somebody in here is gonna say, Oh yes, you can't, Pastor. Here's my four sessions. It's tough. Because Genesis is all about families that are torn apart. Now the reality is, that's because sin has entered the world. And the reason that these things are not good foundations is because they all give in to the sinful desires that we have. Our sin creates tension in all of our relationships. As a result of that breaking of our relationship with God, All of us begin to look for other avenues to complete what only God can complete. Remember John? Book of John, when the woman comes to Jesus at the well. And she sits around the well and Jesus is there with her and he says, How you doing? And she says, Fine, could you get me some water? Why are you asking me for water? He says, Well, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. He says, You're right, you've had five. Remember that story? Here's what was happening. Time and time and time again, she was looking for a man to complete in her what only God can complete. Now, love stories all the time, whether it's songs or movies, talk about husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend completing each other. The movie Jerry Maguire has that famous phrase at the end when she looks at him and they look at her and, and that you know, starry-eyed moment and the music's playing. In the words, you complete me. Can I tell you something? That is a bunch of hooey. All right? You can quote me on that if you want to, all right? Here's the role your spouse was never meant to complete you, your spouse was meant to compliment you, and there's a difference. The only person that can complete you, whether you're man, woman, teenager or child is Jesus Christ. That's it. And so when you try to fill your life with your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend trying to complete you, you are going into a place that will never find fulfillment. And if you're here today and you think, well, my marriage is not what it ought to be because my husband does not complete me, then it's nothing about your marriage and it's nothing about your husband. It's that you don't have the foundation right. Scripture makes it very, very clear that the one thing that we have to understand if we're going to make any relationship work is that our intimacy with our spouse is related to our intimacy with God. I want you to turn over into the New Testament to 1 John. 1 John, right before 2 John, right? 1 John chapter 4. Because what I want us to see here is that there is no way in the world that you can love your spouse without first loving the Lord. You know, you know the greatest commandment, right? Jesus has asked the greatest commandment. He said, is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and soul heart, strength, everything you've got. Love the Lord your God. And the second is like an it to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the truth. What he says there is that those two are interrelated, that you cannot love your neighbor unless you are loving God and that you are not loving God if you're not loving your neighbor. It's not an either or. It's not a multiple choice. It's you have to do both. And when it comes to your marriage, you will never love your spouse as you're supposed to love her or him until you love your Lord and like you're supposed to love him. 1 John chapter 4. What he's basically going to tell us here is you cannot love without being loved. Chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Now, there are going to be lots of loves in here. Just keep following. And at the end, I'm going to remind you of the one point we've got to get today. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friend, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I know that that passage does not speak specifically about marriage or even relationships specifically, but the principle is there. And this is the one point of the sermon. This is the one point that you need to take today is your ability to love other people is directly tied to your ability to love God. Directly. What John says, and I love this because John is coming to the end of his life. John is the most beloved disciple. John is the one that walked with Jesus for three and a half years. John is the one that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. John is the one that Jesus turned his mother over to to take care of. John had a very special place in the heart and the mind of Jesus. And we get to the end of his life and John is thinking about all that matters. And he knows all this stuff is important, but he also knows that none of it matters if you you're not loving other people. And if we're going to show what God has done in our lives, we must show it through love. Here's how it kind of works. When you experience God's love, you experience something profound. You know, every time I see somebody baptized, although usually I'm up there doing it, Today I got to see it again. It's just an amazing picture of what God has done in our lives. When I think about what God has done in my life, and I think about when I was nine years old, sitting in a pew, praying to the Lord, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. When I walked down the aisle at First Baptist Church in Dyersburg, when I was baptized myself, And I think from that day forward how God has completely remolded and reshaped my life. It is unbelievable to me how much He cares. It's unbelievable that God would care for me that much. It is unbelievable that God, as the song says, His Son not sparing what give him for my life and in those moments of my life when i realize the profound nature of god's love for me the thing that it drives me to do is to love people more you know loving god takes you to a new level in loving your spouse and here's the reason when you are around Great people, they make you better. When you are around great people, they make you better. Uh, I saw this weekend, most of you know I'm a Tennessee fan, and I saw this weekend that Tennessee unveiled its all-century team. The best players of the last 100 years. And the first name I read on that team, immediately I thought to myself, that guy surely ought not to be on the team. It's a guy named Dane Bradshaw. Any of y'all remember Dane? Just not many. Good. This won't mean anything to you. That's good. Dane was one of those guys that by all physical abilities shouldn't have been very good. He wasn't fast. He wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the guy that could shoot the best. He wasn't the guy that could dribble the best. If you ask who on the team could do the best of all these things, he would rank about fifth in every category. Okay? But Dane was one of those guys that when he got in the game, everybody around him got better. And that's because great people elevate the people around them. Now what does that have to do with anything, Pastor? Here's what it has to do. When you are spending time with the Lord, when you are seeking Him with all your heart, here's the reality. God is His best at loving. And you cannot... Be in an intimate relationship with your heavenly Father, with Jesus Christ his Son, and not start loving people more. I've had people say to me before, Well, Pastor, I love God. I just don't like people a whole lot. Some of you may have said that. Here's the reality, and I don't mean to say any other way than what the Bible says. That can't happen. That doesn't mean people won't get on your nerves. Anybody out there have somebody gets on your nerves? Now don't point. You can raise your hand, but don't point. Alright? That doesn't mean that people don't get on your nerves. That doesn't mean that you have difficult days. That doesn't mean it's harder to love some people than others. Amen? Amen? But what it does mean is that when you are seeking the Lord and growing closer to Him, that your love for Him will translate into your love for other people. When it comes to your spouse... If you don't have figured out your relationship with the Lord, then you are not going to love your spouse as you should. Well, Pastor, what about this, this, these couple I know? They've been married for 50 years. They've never been to church. They don't know God. And they seem to have a good relationship. What I'm telling you is, even in the midst of that relationship, Scripture is very clear. They are not loving each other as they ought to do. Our standard is not other people. Our standard is what God calls us to do. And so we need to understand that if you're going to have a successful life, if you're going to have a successful marriage, you've got to become more involved with what God's doing in your life. We begin to feel more secure. We begin to feel more secure in our relationship. Here's the amazing thing. When we seek after the Lord, suddenly... God makes us more secure in our relationships. I read this the other day. A mature Christian is one who understands that it is the duty of all creatures to glorify God. Now, most of us are good with that. What we need to understand is that glorifying God involves being the best Christian husband we can be. We need to understand that what it means to glorify God is to be the best Christian wife we can be. Maturity in the Lord is a prerequisite to maturity in marriage. And I want to tell you that sometimes people say, well, Pastor, uh, you know, if we could just do a good biblical study on marriage, then I think it would help some of our couples. And the truth is, I agree with that. Good biblical studies on marriage do help while we're doing a sermon series on it, But I would also tell you that any good Bible study is a good study on marriage. I mean, think about this. If you study the book of James, you're going to be able to learn how to handle troubles and problems as they come. Is that helpful in marriage? Yes would be the appropriate answer. You can verbalize that. Is it important to learn how to handle troubles in marriage? There you go. In the book of Hosea, you're going to read about how to respond when your spouse disappoints you. Do spouses ever disappoint We'll get the hang of this while we're done. If you look in the book of Romans, you'll be enlightened to the fact that the power of sin is real and that you sometimes have to understand that what's happening in your spouse's life is a spiritual problem, not an emotional or physical one. Is it important to understand your spouse? In the book of Revelation, it reminds us that one day in the end, we win. And because we win, all the things that are trivial in life are trivial, meaning they don't mean anything in the big picture. Is it important sometimes in marriage to remember that things don't matter in the big picture? It is. If You read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll learn how to respond to the enemies of your marriage. If you go through any passage of Scripture that helps us to learn how to live more passionately devoted to the Lord, it's going to help us to live more passionately devoted to our spouse. It'll help us feel more secure, and it will help us persevere. It'll help us persevere. Here's the reality. In marriages, there will be times of drought. But in every marriage, there will be ups and there will be downs. There will be mountains and there will be valleys. In every relationship, there will be good and there will be bad. And you are going to have to have something to sustain you in the times of drought. I don't know if you remember or not, uh, a few months back, I put up the graph of marital satisfaction. And that it starts out real high. And then when the first kids come along, down it goes. Some of you remember that? And as it goes way down, the the people say, well, why does that happen? Well, here's the reality. Those extra checks you get aren't spent on trips to the Bahamas anymore, right? I don't know, but I would prefer Bahamas over Pampers, but Pampers are the necessity. Just how it is. The word free weekends are oxymoronic to young parents, right? They, They don't make sense. And so you have that time of drought. Now, if you make it through that, it rises again until the teenage years to where it falls even lower. If you make it through all of that, when you get to the end of that marital satisfaction chart, it gets higher than it even was on the honeymoon. Why? Because you've had the foundation to make it through the droughts. We are all going to have difficulties in our relationships. It's important to understand that there are going to be peaks and valleys. But the thing that sustains us in those difficult moments is our relationship with the Lord. So let me speak to you this morning about that relationship. Let me tell you that some of you are here this this morning and you're wondering, how in the world can I have a successful marriage, a successful relationship? How am I going to make things work? Let me just tell you that first and foremost, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your marriage will never be what it's supposed to be. So this morning, my first question to you is, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have an ongoing personal relationship with Him? Again, I'm not asking if you joined a church. I'm not asking you to fill out a card. I'm not asking if you've done any stuff. I'm asking, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ? Because until that happens... You'll never love your spouse as you should. Guys, let me speak to you for just a minute real specifically. Lord has just impressed on my heart that there are some guys in this room that you know deep in your heart that you've never come to a place where you've asked Jesus to forgive you. You've never made a commitment to Him for the first time to be your Lord and your Savior. And some of you right now know that deep down. But that outer male shell would never let anybody know it. One of the worst things that came out of the fall for us men is pride. Now let me just tell you right now. Guys, if you are hiding behind that shell of pride, you are depriving yourself of the most unbelievable adventure in following Christ. Until you have that relationship, your marriage, your work, your life will never be what it ought to be. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then how do you make your marriage better? You spend more time with the Lord. You pray. You seek God in Bible study. You sit under biblical preachers and teachers. And here's the most important part. You do what the Word tells you to do. Here's your dare for the week. Are you ready? It's not going to be on the screen because it's personalized for each of you. That's what I want to dare you to do. I'm going to up it a little bit. We're doing staggered difficulty, okay? Husbands, I want you to think of one practical way you can show your love to your wife this week, every day. Every day, I want you to think of a practical way you can show your love to your wife this week and then do it. Now, let me encourage you a way to do that, to figure that out. Because some of you think, Pastor, I spent every bit of creativity I had on Valentine's Day. I'm done. <laughs> all right? I mean, now you're asking me for six more days, really. Okay? Spend time with the Lord. Now, for some of you, that seems like a weird kind of thought, but just open your Bible, read 1 Corinthians 13, and ask the Lord, all right, Lord, how today can I be patient with my wife and show her I'm going to be patient. Lord, how today can I show her that I'm keeping no record of wrongs? Wives, here's yours. Think of one practical way this week, every day, you can show love to your husband. One practical way each day you can show love to your husband. If you're single here today, maybe you or product of divorce, maybe you haven 't found someone to marry yet, Maybe you recently or in the years past have had your spouse pass away. Let me give you an encouragement. I want you to think of six people in your life: family, friends, coworkers, six people in your life. And I want you to write their names down this afternoon, and then I want you to assign them a day. So Bob gets Monday, Jane gets Tuesday. Rufus gets Thursday, whatever it is. So you put those down. And then what I want you to do, maybe it's your parents if you're a young person. Maybe it's it's a child if you're uh, older. One a day, and then I want you on that day to do something special to show them how much you love them. So nobody gets all free here, right? Everybody's got part of the dare. And what I want you to think about this week more than anything else as we come to a time of invitation is how can I develop a more passionate relationship with my Lord? Because the one thing that I want you to remember out of everything else we talked about is you, your love for God is directly proportional to your love for others.